this is Robau and today in Tux Turbo Talk we talk to Alex Dowsett of Team Katusha Albazin about the 2019 World Championships in Yorkshire. Alright, it's Tuesday the 17th of September and we're in between the Tour of Britain and the World Championships in Yorkshire. And basically there's uh, no better person to chat about both of these races than the one and only Alex Dowsett of Team Katusha Albazin. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, how much of an indication was the Tour of Britain of uh, what we can expect next week in Yorkshire? Uh, I mean, from a personal sort of performance point of view, I'm, I, was, I was quite happy with where I was at. Um, like the first two days, I felt very good and then just slipped a little bit. But, you know, if the first two days were an indicator of how my legs are going to be at Worlds, then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, hopeful I can put in a good performance. Um, in terms of the sort of support from the side of the road, uh, initially I was thinking the Tour of Britain this year was quite a quiet one uh, From in terms of crowds, actually. It wasn't as mind-blowing as it has been in previous years, but then that was all, like, it all came to a, that sort of thought train came to a stop on the final day and when we rode, we did a lap of Manchester, basically. Um, the crowds were insane. I think it was, it was 160k and there wasn't there wasn't a point in the road where you couldn't see a fan. Um, and often it was, there was, it was huge. So it's going to be, it's going to be mad, I think. Because people may have seen like when the Tour de France was in Yorkshire, uh, it's probably going to be just a spectacle as that. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that's exactly it. It's going to be it's, it's like maybe even yeah, the tour will come back. Uh, it's probably sometime soon to the UK, but you know the worlds. That's that's something that doesn't often uh, return to countries for a very long time. So this is um, yeah, it's, it's it's going to be a once in a lifetime thing or once in a career thing certainly for for me. And what do you see? Do you see around you that it has like an impact on cycling, like as a grassroots sports in the UK, or what does it mean for the for the country? Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, certainly success has bred success in the UK. Um, it all started with uh, the sort of British cycling system back around, I think, uh, Sydney, Athens, and Sydney Olympics. Uh, a plan was set in place, and that's kind of brought up um, your first, like when I was a kid, there was only one one or two pros, British pros in the Tour de France, and now we can have sort of 10 or 11. Um, but then that, what that has done, that that sort of pathway has spread and there's been other other avenues to, um, to make it. And that's, I think that's because of the, how big cycling is in the UK. Yeah, it really has, uh, Right, it's like a ripple effect, I guess. It's, 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 yeah, it's mad. It's great to see. And you already mentioned that uh, you were quite happy last week uh, with your own legs to the Tour of Britain, at least for the first couple of days. There's still a long list, I think it is, for the Worlds in Yorkshire, but let's say you're going to be on Team GB. What's the yeah biggest focus for you? Is that the TT? Oh, the, yeah, the TT is, is... Yeah, the TT is my focus, massively. I mean, the road race... Um, I, I would be surprised if I'm selected for the road race, uh, just given the caliber of riders on the list and the fact that they've 
you know, some guys are coming out of the welter in great shape and, um, you know, guys focusing on on the road race specifically, whereas my, my target has been a, a one-hour race against the clock. So um, if I am selected to do the road race, it'll be to do a job reasonably early on, I'd imagine. But the TT is, is my main focus and it has been for quite a while. So yeah, it's still it's a one way TT, uh, 54k. So like you said, probably like an hour, an hour ten maybe effort. Um, yeah. I think you've done some specific training for that, maybe also on the tax trainer, correct? Yes, yeah, we have. Um, my coach Kevin created uh, a pacing strategy in line with the demands of uh, of the world's course, um, and we've sort of dropped that onto onto Zwift. And I've managed, yeah, I've been able to follow, I think it's something like 70 or 80 different uh, intervals, if you like. Um, and I, I can kind of, because I've written the course as well, I can kind of picture whereabouts on the course uh, we would be at that time as well, which uh, has been, yeah, it has been helpful because certainly I think on race day it will, it will enable me as well to, not get too carried away on the early bits because I know there's some real grippy sections coming up, but then knowing on the grippy sections that after that you've got to, uh, not rest, but it kind of the the intensity backs off a little bit. And um, yeah, and then it's a, it's a bolt for home. Did you do like any other preparations in the past, specifically on the trainer for TT, or is this the first time that you really dedicated spending those intervals? Uh, not this specific, no. I mean, I've used the uh, I've used the trainer in the past, uh, kind of as as little as I could, sort of before smart trainers and and all the online sort of programs you can use became well made just made indoor training a lot more um, a lot more fun, a lot more, but then also a lot more productive uh, in terms of what you what you get out of them. Um, you know, back when I was I was a kid, the thought of spending you know, a couple of hours on a trainer was fairly. Uh, you'd have to really mentally prepare yourself for that. Um, but now it's it's kind of a sort of the same arduous task as going out on the road and doing intervals. To be honest, there's no there's no real difference to it anymore, which is which is great. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of preparing for a TT this specifically no I've never I've never done it I've never had the tools to be able to do it um, so it's 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 quite impressive it's, it's blowing my dad's mind that's for sure <laughs> sort of like the preparation I'm doing I'm telling him he's like oh yeah that sounds like uh, that sounds like enough <laughs> yeah, because your dad was obviously more about the road racing but then in the cars right yeah 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 he's well I mean the one thing there is in common is you, you get to that start line fully prepared and I mean, in, in cycling, you you can kind of wing it a bit because it's it's your bike and you. Um, whereas, yeah, if your car's not right, then it's um, like the, the, the car won't run. So, sort of preparation and motor racing was paramount. Um, and I've I'd like to think I've taken that mentality into into bike racing. And probably a part of that as well, also about the course preparation. So you said you've ridden the course. Um, where do you think like the biggest struggle is going to be in that 54K? Uh, actually, the, the fact that it is 54K. 
Um, it's that is a long TT for for us. It's quite rare. I think the last time I don't think there's been a TT that long since the Giro in 2013. It's very rare we'll do uh, TTs upwards of, of 40k. So except for except for World Championships, even Europeans this year was just 26k. Like in the last couple of years, TTs they've got shorter and they've got hillier. Um, so it's kind of nice that Yorkshire has has kind of bucked the trend and thrown in a long one. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of ramps, there's a couple of climbs, but not again nothing too significant. Like you have to commit to them, obviously, but they're not gonna. You know, if um, like Roglic just off the back of the Vuelta, he's not gonna climb up there and put minutes into people with, with his climbing abilities. It's they're sort of power climbs. Um and then there's there's a ramp near the end, which is actually quite steep, but you get a good run into it. I think you, you should be I should be entering the climb at ninety or hundred kilometers an hour. So hopefully that'll shoot me up the other side fairly quick as well. And the fact that it's point to point as well, I mean we've you can't really predict uh um, a time we sort of said anything between one hour six and one hour twelve, uh, and that really is dependent on the wind. <laughs> could have a tailwind for the whole thing, could have a headwind, could uh, could be nothing. So um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an unknown to it, which which is I think for me with my experience is a good thing. And what do you reckon is going to hurt more that hour in 2015 in Manchester or this one in Yorkshire? Oh, definitely this one, definitely. <laughs> Roads of Yorkshire are not as smooth as the track of Manchester, uh, for one, and um, uh, it's, it's a completely different kind of effort. Um, you, like our record, I was just riding to a set pace, which in the end turned out to be quite comfortable. Whereas this, I'll be riding to us. Uh, I think the the hour was more of an unknown, so we definitely. They erred on the side of caution, just did enough to break the record, um, but not anymore. Whereas here, I know I know myself enough to know if the pace is, is sustainable or not. Um, and then, you know, in the last half, it's it's just emptying the tank anyway. So definitely, this will be significantly tougher than the hour. Is that is the hour something that you might want to do again in the future, or? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to. I mean, the bar's been set pretty high now with Victor, uh, very high. So suddenly, whereas before it was it was quite a simple go back to Manchester, um, probably try and acquire some faster equipment. I mean, at the time, the equipment I had was was very quick, but you know, time's moved on, technology's developed. So, yeah, have a crack. We just know... I only rode at 300, and it was like 300, it was either 58 or 68 watts, which is quite significantly under what um, I could have done and what we were doing in training. Um, I mean, we just didn't anticipate how fast race day would be in comparison to everything in training with the difference in temperature in the velodrome and the you know the fast fastest skin suit, the fastest uh, wax chain and. And all of those little bits, yeah. like your marginal gain stuff, um, you just kind of, you don't go faster. It just makes that pace easier. And because you can't look at a power meter, like my power meters, because it's track rules, you can't have a, a Wahoo on your um, 
or a Garmin or anything on your handlebars, you have to have, like, we had it tucked under my seat, so you could, I couldn't actually see. I was, like, riding around thinking, like, I think this is quite comfortable. I mean, maybe it's going to bite at 40 or 50 minutes, but currently it's, uh, this is quite manageable, and then got to, like, 55 minutes, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to open the taps now. Um, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, it's too late to do any big damage um, at the time, but... So yeah, it kind of just for my own. I, I obviously having a world record is, is pretty mad, and I only had it for a month, which yeah is more than most people get a world record for. But still, I think uh, for my own personal um, goals, I'd like to actually see how far I could go, rather than riding to a schedule and and just doing kind of a sufficient amount to break a record. Whereas I think to ride fifty five k or more is going to take everything I've got, perhaps a little bit more. But now we have to look at whether altitude would be faster um, for me, because I live at altitude now, and I'm fairly I'm fairly useless up at altitude, but I'm good when I get down to sea level. So it's how to, how to play that one, whether to go and do the attempt like Victor did in Mexico or find a track a little bit lower than Mexico or just simply go to sea level. Um, yeah. so yeah, lots of, lots of unknowns, but it's, you know, you need, um, you need the team to be into it as well. Cause I, your race program is compromised, um, for it. And it's a significant investment because it's not part of a team's kind of initial sort of plan for the year. Um, and it's, you know, it's not cheap to do it properly. And you have to do it properly if you want to do it well. So it's, um, yeah, one day. One day. And you already mentioned uh, Victor's name. Is he also on the list of competitors which you uh, think could yeah, challenge for the podium for that win next week? Or would oh, he yeah. see as your competition? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, definitely. He's He will be, he's one of the most thorough time trialists of our generation in terms of, doing everything in his power and more to eke like, every millisecond. I think he's definitely he's definitely changed the game a little bit for the time trial across the board. Yeah, you see his position is much more radical than um, most others uh, and quite a lot of people have followed in his in his footsteps. So, you know, he's, he's been quite... At the, at the start, he was a nuisance and now he's... A bit of a like, oh, I must probably need to take take a lot of notice of what Victor's doing because it seems to be working very well. So he's, yeah, he I think he's one of your favourites. He hasn't really raced, haven't seen him race since the Giro. Um, I was for Belgium, and that's yeah, you just I guess a little bit like Rowan as well, kind of got no idea where either of those boys are at in terms of their form or anything. So I think it's, um, I was chatting with a friend last night and he said, this is one of the most open, uh, TTs in, in years. You know, like last year, Rowan was the, was the hot favorite coming into it. Um, year before the course suited Demolan like perfectly. Um, Tony and Doha, it was uh, sort of quite predictable results, but I think this year it's quite open. And is there, uh, are you still then maybe afraid of someone with a last name that ends in Bull? 
the young Remco, <laughs> Remco even a pool for this for the time trial? Or I think he's starting to strike fear into everyone in the pro peloton. To be honest, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, I actually I I knew about him last year because I coach a or my my um, company coaches a young lad called Joe Laverick who. Um, was the only junior last year to beat Evan Paul in a in a TT, um, and Joe was telling me he was like, no, 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 this kid, he's he's like, he's really good, and I was like, yes, yes, I was a I was a junior once, and we had very good juniors as well. Who, yeah, some of them turned out to be good pros, some of them fell by the wayside, and Joe was like, no, no, you don't understand, he's 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 like he's something else, and then. He signed for quick step and the whole collective peloton was like, that's a mistake going straight from the, he needs to do under 23 because kind of like that thing in cycling where traditional, traditionally everyone does uh, a couple of years in under 23s and they're like, okay, well, Evan Poles. I mean, the rides he did at Worlds were impressive, but it's, you know, juniors is a real funny one because you just, you Everyone develops in different ways, and uh, you see some kids as juniors are very mediocre in the pro world, or they don't even make it at all. And then, yeah, like Tony Martin, for example, did not win a thing as a junior or under 23, not one, and six-time world time trial champion, or five-time, four-time, however many he's won, like a lot. Um, Yeah, and then... He sort of he appeared at uh, UAE and crashed, um, and then yeah, then his summer came round, and I think that's where everyone. I think the first time was um, the Hammer series. Uh, our director Dirk de Mol was like watching him, and he rode across to Van Avermaet on a climb, and then tapped him on the hip and said like, "Oh come on, let's go." And Van Avermaet looked like he was on the limit, and it was like, <laughs> "Okay, no, like." There's only a select few that can do that. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, his summer was was unreal, actually. He, like, to win, the, the thing that got me, it's not obviously he's young, but he he won three completely different kinds of races in the, in the space of two months. Um, San Sebastian, where you know, half the Tour de France rocked up in very good form, which is obviously a seriously hilly race. He won that. Then so he won Tour of Belgium against a very informed Tim Wellens and and then European TT champs, which was a course built for your likes of Jos van Emden, Stefan Kung, myself, and Filippo Ganna. And I, I that race specifically, I was it was tailwind out, headwind back, more or less. So I held back on the way out. Um, I held back. I was sat at 445 watts average, um, thinking, well, you've held back, but you haven't held back much, mate. And then they came down the radio, like, yeah, so you're 14 seconds down on Evanpool. And I was like, how? How is that possible? Because like, this this is really good for me. And I was tired. I could see Stefan Kung up the road. I wasn't gaining on him, but I wasn't losing ground. I was like, this is... I, this is sort of Stefan's bread and butter in terms of a course as well. And, and then I sat on 450 watts into the headwind the whole way home and gained nothing on Evan Pohl. 
and that I was like, okay, this kid's uh, this kid's going to be a real problem in the next couple. Of years. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think a 54k TT. A lot of people would say maybe it's too long for him, but it just. I think with what he's doing this year, you just don't know. And I probably think he doesn't know either. Um, which, I mean, it's exciting because I think we're seeing a generation of riders coming through which are completely, they're going to change the game completely. You know, like Matthew Van Der Poel in the Tour of Britain just didn't abide by, uh, well, not rules, but sort of what you do in road cycling. Like you, if it's a sprint finish, you start with a 200 or 100 to go, and he would start with like that uphill finish in the Tour of Britain. He'd start with 600, and no one could live with it. And it's just, yeah, it's just changing the game. Should we write Macho's name down then for the road race? Oh yeah, absolutely. I would. Um, it's, I think, yeah, with the only thing other teams can hope for with teams like. Holland and Belgium fielding you know, an all-star cast is that they struggle to ride together um, like as a team. You know, I think when you've got it's probably more so the Belgians than the, than the Dutch, yeah. you've really got an all-star cast there. Um, and they might say they're going to work for each other and help each other, but I think... They might also all have an eye on their own ambitions there, which whereas if, if you go in with a team which is fully committed to one rider, I think that would be stronger than sort of seven or eight riders that are sort of they've got half an eye on their own ambitions. So at least we're going to be in for a cracking one and uh, maybe see some surprises along the way. So for yourself for the time trial, would you be what would you be happy with? Whoa, um, <laughs> It's like, or do you look like at a power outcome rather than like the results? It's more the ride. I want to. I want to know. I had nothing left, like in the ride. Um, in terms of the, if I can look back and go like that was that was everything from me. Um, from, and that's everything from me, in terms of that the last one hour, but also the last two months. Um, I can be happy. Then it is difficult to predict a result in the TT. I mean, I think everyone on that grid wants to win. I, I want to win, but um, and I will do everything in my power to win. And that's, I guess, that's the idea of a time trial. But if like my 100% puts me on the podium, great. If my 100% puts me in the top 10, then it puts me in the top 10. And if I'm outside, then yeah, that'll be. I will be disappointed, but sort of that'll be that'll be my all. Yeah, right. Uh, we're going to move on to the Tux Turbo Talks fan question of the week. Each week, people send their questions in for our podcast guests, and someone sent a question to you. We're going back to the cars a little bit. It was Simon Tuck. He wanted to know: money, no object. What car would you like most to own? Uh, Porsche GT2 RS is the one I keep coming back to. Okay, yeah. is, it gone, is it gonna have like a yellow stripe on it, like the <laughs> Mercedes had? Or? I think most of them come with a stripe. Probably, probably would not. For I don't think Chanel would not let me opt for something as garish as a yellow stripe. But um, yeah, I think there'd, there'd be a stripe somewhere. 
right. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, but not before, I want to mention something. It's a really good cause that you're actually really close to, and it's called uh, Little Bleeders, because um, maybe not a lot of people know, but you sort of like suffer from hemophilia. Um, and yeah, you're probably the best one to explain. So I just wanted to give you a minute to explain what it is and what Little Bleeders does for it. Um, so I've got, yeah, I've got this condition called uh, hemophilia. It's where uh, I miss a sort of fairly key clotting factor in my blood, which basically means if, uh, if I haven't had the medication, I sort of cut myself quite badly, then it won't stop bleeding. Um, or I can suffer internal bleeding into joints and muscles. But I'm very lucky in that it's all uh, kept under control by, by medication. And the medication's reasonably new. So uh, hemophilia before I was born was quite debilitating. Um, you'd have to sort of take it easy, not participate in sports, certainly not be racing down mountains in the middle of a peloton. Um, and that, that's kind of the message. But the, uh, hemophilia has changed now. Um, we can do these kinds of things because of, of the medication, because of what we know. And actually, being fit and healthy is is fairly crucial to managing the haemophilia well so which being inactive is is now quite counterproductive so our motto little bleeders is move more be more um and within the uk we're we're promoting health and well-being we're promoting like being fit and healthy um but then long term the problems further afield is uh, much more severe in third world countries, the, the medication just isn't available. So hemophilia without medication is is it's life threatening. It's certainly life shortening. It's um, your quality of life is is far far lower, and that's that's something we're endeavouring to change is to not make it not have it that it's a um, like sort of a postcode condition where it really matters where you're born as to how well your hemophilia is managed. Um, yeah, we want to change that. So our website's littlebleeders.com um, and you can find out a lot more information there. All right. Thanks, Hips Alex, for that and a great course, obviously. Um, we've got to wrap it up. Like I said, this was it for this week. Uh, please keep an eye on Alex Dowsett's uh, Instagram account this week as well because I think there's going to be a giveaway for some VIP tickets for Yorkshire. Correct, Alex? Yes, there is. I'm going to be putting that up very soon. All right, awesome. Well, thanks, Alex. Uh, thanks so much for your time. It was a bit longer than a turbo talk. Uh, this time was more of diesel talk, but uh, it's a long time trial, so you're going to need that diesel engine for, uh, for that TT next week. Good luck in that one. Thank you. Thanks very much. All right. Thank everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Talks Turbo Talks podcast. This was Rob Bauer with Alex Dowsett of Team Patricia Alpazine. Stay tuned for a new Talks Turbo Talks next week.